Well, to review a little in Romans 12, which Greg did over the last couple weeks, really is all about we're living a new life. When we become a Christian, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, we submit our bodies, we submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves as a living sacrifice. We're no longer just living for ourselves, our own pleasures, our own desires, but we're living in a way that honors God. We don't just go along with the deluge or the river of the world. God has a different call for us. And as we're renewed in God's truth, as we follow His Spirit, it says He's transforming us into His image. In the second half of the chapter last week, Greg went through a number of things that God is doing in our lives towards sanctification, towards becoming more like Christ. And that path to sanctification, there's changes in our lives that God's doing. Submitting more and more to the Holy Spirit. Talked about loving more genuinely. Loving one another in brotherly affection. Showing honor to one another. Rejoicing in hope. Being constant and steadfast in our prayer. A number of things that were good to chew on there. I think one, the very last verse, the very last one Greg went through was, don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil with good. And it's kind of fitting as a transition into Romans 13, because the reality is we live in a cesspool of evil in some ways around us, don't we? And the scripture is kind of granting it's going to be around you, and you've got an option. You can become a part of it, or you can overcome it with good and honoring him. And so the world is going a certain direction that's going to try to get us to conform and go away. Conform to the speech, conform to the look of the world, conform to the activity, conform to the entertainment. And it's kind of interesting that what follows that isn't a description of the entertainment. It's a description of how we relate to the government. And as we get started, I recognize there's an old saying that goes around schools and bars and the water coolers. If you don't want to start an argument, don't talk about what? Religion and politics, right? So what I'm going to do is try to come out and talk about both this morning. We'll see how that goes. I'm not taking heed of that warning. Maybe that's not wise, but here we are in Romans 13, and it talks about how we relate to our government and politics. And if we carry out Romans 12, how we're living in the Spirit, it has implication about how we relate to authority, the authority of God, the authority God puts in our lives, how we relate to those. And so the question today really is, how do we relate to government authority? So let's read the passage here. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in the positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. Oh, I was trying to read it on the screen and I totally lost it. Nice. <laughs> um, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. 
They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to all who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And so as we look at the first verse of Romans 13, it starts by saying, For all authority comes from God, and those in the positions of authority have been placed there by God. But as we focus in, really it's a question of authority and God's authority that brings government into focus. And so as we talk about God's authority, really this brings into account really God's authority as it relates to eternity past and how he's always held that authority. And so where does all authority come from? God. And so it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that He didn't make. 1 John 1.3 And so we start with this biblical framework that there is an eternity. There is a God. There is an eternal God, as the scriptures say. And so there's a time spanning from 6,000 years ago all the way to eternity past where there was God in full authority and full power in relationship in three parts and God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit. And they had full power and authority. And so we jump forward to Genesis. I didn't realize this was so many clicks. I don't know what I did. I'm not that good at PowerPoint. (laughs) Or a clicker. But we read Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was God for eternity. And this in the beginning is 6,000 years ago. God created the heavens and earth. So holding all authority and power, God created And then we read through a little more of Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. And so God calls out with his voice, and he creates the sun and the light, and he calls the light day and the darkness night. And it demonstrates that he had ultimate authority, doesn't it? And how does God show that authority over the universe? Just by his voice going out, he can speak and things are created, changed, done, and obeyed. And so with his voice yielding that authority, what did he do next? He created the land and the sea and the heavens. And he called out with his voice and plants came up and fruit and vegetables And he saw that it was good, and he created animals. And so we can read this, and we can have all kinds of responses to what we think of this account in Genesis. But one major thing in this context is to realize that that authority that God created that on existed in his power from eternity past. 
Another thing, as we look at that account, is that God created it in seven literal days with his voice speaking out. I don't know what you think your week looked like. I think about my week since last Sunday when we were sitting here together and what I accomplished. I did some things. I got some work done. I made some meals. Did a few chores, a little bit of yard work. Did some commuting. Watched a little football. Well, in that amount of time, God created the heavens and the earth and people and animals and plants and everything we know in our universe. God created over that same amount of time and had a day to rest even. Whole religious views, some call themselves religion, some might call themselves science, but it's really a religious framework or a religious view, claim that that must be a long period of time. Well, it can't be possible that God created everything in seven days. Well, he can, because he held authority over everything. And his voice had authority to call things into being. And so science would say, well, everything on earth, physics, all matter must have been there for all of time. And all energy must have been there for all of time. And so we'll come up with a view that we can see the processes we see and extrapolate it back a period of time if that same amount of matter and energy were there. And they've constructed a religious view around what that must look like within that framework. Which isn't a... If you're just thinking about it, a bad way to go about it. But God wasn't restricted by that framework. He had all authority over everything, that he could speak things into being from nothing. Not matter that existed forever, but he could just speak, and from nothing the earth would come, and the universe, and the stars, and the energy. And so Genesis 1.26, something kind of profound happens. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God calls man into being by his voice again, but then he does something profound. He takes some of that all authority he's had for all eternity and he delegates it to man. That ultimate authority he's yielding. And he says, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. And so God creates this beautiful earth and instead of just controlling it by the authority of his voice or his actions, he creates man in his image and starts delegating his authority out. And he says, you can yield some of this authority I've held, you can yield it and you can have dominion over the plants and the animals and the earth. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but God could have just created plants in a way that they just kind of came up. Every spring they'd come out of the ground and you'd have wonderful vegetables and fruit and you didn't have to do anything. You could just go out to your backyard and be like, hey, God put a peach tree. Awesome, I like those. Maybe it kind of liked that, but God didn't. He said, I'm going to put man on the earth and you're going to work in the soil and you're going to put seeds in and it's going to produce plants and you're going to tend to it and it's going to be under your dominion. He gave us control of that and that stewardship of the earth. And then from there, God created woman out of man, brought them together so he wouldn't be alone. We're going to start going faster, I promise. We've gotten way back. No. So what happens? They're kicked out of the garden. And they go out and they start living life outside of the garden after the fall. 
And if we fast forward a few generations, what happens after that? Everything spirals out of control. There's murder. God can hardly look at it. We fast forward all the way to Genesis 6. It says, And the, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And so what happened here? Man took the authority given by God and twisted it and didn't use it in the way that God had created them. They dishonored God. And so God destroys the whole earth and floods it, except for saving Noah and his family. He says, I'm taking my authority back. (laughs) It didn't go so hot. And then in Genesis 9, something else kind of profound happens here. The flood ends, they get off the boat. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and fill the earth. So God freshly gives Noah and his sons dominion over the earth again. And then in verse 3, something happens. He says, Every moving thing shall be food for you. He lets them eat animals. And I just think that's profound because I like steak. (laughs) Actually, we got our yearly portion of cow this week, so I was freshly thankful that God gave us meat. But actually, if you think in context, God gave them the plants and vegetables and fruit to eat before that. They would have been vegetarians after this point, and God said, you can go eat the animals too. Okay, that's not the point, but I digress. Verse 5 is more important as it relates to today's message if I can click all the way there it says and for your lifeblood I will require reckoning from every beast I will require it from a man from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man and so for the first time God gives man dominion over other men to uphold righteousness on the earth And if we think back before the flood, when Cain was killed, or when Cain killed Abel, excuse me, how was he punished? Well, God came and intervened and cursed him and sent him out of the land and cursed his descendants. When the whole world was in sin, God punished the world with the flood and directly intervened to punish. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and sinned originally, God directly got involved and cast them out of the garden. And so God had been involved with punishment directly up until that time. But after the flood, when people get off the boat and know his descendants, it's something new that he delegates some of that authority to man. And then right after this, what happens... He promises that he would never destroy the world again with a flood. And he would let it be ultimately until the Messiah returns a second time and it's destroyed with fire. It all timed out. My daughter's school books were going through this account this week and they were talking about it. 
and it talked about something I hadn't thought about before, but one is that God delegates his authority to government for man to carry out his righteousness, to keep society as we think of it, right before he promises to never flood the earth again. And one of the reasons I think is that he set up this means of man exacting judgment to keep the world from spiraling out of control again. It was God's grace to keep some sort of order amongst the people. What do we call it when there's no government? An anarchy. People doing what they want. No safety. Destruction. Theft. Basically the vent of everything wrong in our heart without checks. There's nothing to meter it or keep us in. And it was what ultimately happened before the flood. And so God says, I'm going to set up this form of government. And so by Genesis 10, there's an account of nations starting. And from that proclamation, there's cities forming, and the Tower of Babel happens, and they all get scattered out and form different nations all over the world from there. But God delegated his authority to these governments. And so when we think about God delegating his authority, there's a few different buckets that happen. One, like we're talking about, is government. God gives his authority out for keeping judgment One is family. God delegates authority in family to a few places, to parents, to carry out some sort of authority on God's behalf and their children. God has a call for husbands, Ephesians 5, that they carry out a certain authority in their marriage. Another one is church. God has an authority he gives to the church to carry out his business on earth. And then I just kind of put all these together. It uses masters or rulers a lot in the scriptures. We would think of it more as bosses. Not many of us are slaves to a master. Although, funny point, we are voting about slavery in Denver somehow. I don't know if that's the whole state or just Denver, but I'm surprised to know we're still voting about slavery this day and age. It's kind of a funny measure. But all of these things are God yielding his authority over to man in some arena. And so back to Romans 13. We did get back. We're still in the first verse, but we did get back. That this is important. We ask that question, why does God want us to obey and honor our government? Well, the first thing, like we've been talking about, is that God gives authority. And so the second half of verse 1 in Romans 13 says those in the positions of authority have been placed there by God. God held the ultimate authority and handed it over to government and to those in authority. And so God yielded control of a number of arenas and government is certainly one of them out of God's ultimate authority. So God has given it authority But what specifically does God give the government authority over is something to ask. Um, We think about setting and withholding the law, exacting judgment, keeping people safe, keeping order, and making sure God's standards are held up in society. Keeping God's greater judgment at bay to just destroy the whole earth again. There was a verse. I just have to click a bunch of times. Another thing is that it shows our obedience to God. Just what verse 2 starts talking about there. 
It says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So in this arena that God has given the government authority, if we rebel against that authority, we will be punished. So before the government, God would directly punish the people like we talked about. But now he delegated his authority to people on earth when they don't hold up God's standards. So like today, we dropped off our kids in Sunday school. And so as a parent, I delegated some of my authority to that teacher. So if my kids act up and yell and start hitting, I hope not. But if I can hear them through that wall and they're the ones yelling today, well, I want that teacher to tell me about it. I want them to try to keep them in line as much as they can. And ultimately, I'm going to be responsible for any punishment that happens when we get home. And that it's going to reflect back to me. I'm going to feel like my kids obeyed me or disobeyed me based on how they acted in there, even if there's a Sunday school teacher. And what this is saying is ultimately how we react and obey the authorities God puts in our life is kind of similar. If we obey the government, we're obeying God and the authority he has in our life. And he's delegated to that authority. And if we disobey, ultimately we're disobeying and dishonoring God. It's a lot of clicks. The next thing it talks about is that authorities only frighten those who do wrong. It says, For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live in f- without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. So if you want to live generally at peace with the government, what do you do? Just live righteously. Do good things. If we honor and obey all the commands that God has for us, generally we're going to be in line with the laws of the land and the government. If we're sitting, I just think if we're sitting at work, working hard and doing our best, trying to honor God with our life, it's going to line up with all those authorities he's put in place with the governmental authorities, with our parental authorities, with our church authorities, with our work authorities. If we're doing what God has in our life, it generally lines up. And if I'm obeying God, if I'm walking that out, if I'm really walking in his plan for me, it talked about in Romans 12, there should be no human authority that strikes fear in me because they've all been placed by God to carry out his authority. And I think as we think about that, it changes how we interact with the authorities in our life, doesn't it? The police are driving around. Are we thinking of someone that's trying to keep us from doing what we want to do, do what's the full vent of our flesh? Or are we keeping thinking of them as someone that's carrying out God's authority to keep in line his standards and commands? And I think also, when we think of it in line of Jesus' commands. I think of, it's talking about authority striking fear. I think of specifically one of the major things police are going to drive around looking for is are people murdering or people hitting each other? Is there assault? Are people generally safe? But if we think of Jesus' standard, what the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not murder. Then Jesus' standard said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. If we're going for God's standard, the police standard doesn't strike a whole lot of fear in us. 
if I'm trying to not hate my brother in my heart, I can have the police driving by all day. I'm probably not worried about whether or not I'm murdering someone. But we have a society that's very negative towards the police in general. But mainly it's because of the depravity of our society and our world. And as, as a society, we drift further and further from God's laws and from his design in our life. Generally, we're more combative with the authorities he's placed because we want to go give full vent to our flesh in other areas. And we don't like the police. And so they can strike fear or seem harsh, but when we're in line with God's laws, we shouldn't be frightened. Click, 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 click. It says the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So if you're outside of God's plan and design and you're doing other things, what does it say? You should be afraid. You should be very afraid. God put those authorities there to withhold and uphold his standard. Excuse me. God will use the police to catch up with you. God will use his authorities. If you're drunk and endangering others, you should probably be afraid of the authorities because God's placed them there for something. If we're stealing, we should fear those authorities because God placed them there to uphold his plan. And when you're within God's plan, you can look at this verse and see that the authorities are sent for your good, like it says. If you're not worried about being caught outside of God's plan, you can think very positively about the authorities, about the police. I live in Denver, not too far from here. We know we're not living in a perfect world, but personally, when I see the police circling around my neighborhood, I'm thankful. I'm thinking if they circle around, it's going to keep a presence. It's going to keep crime down. People know they can't just give full vent to things. It's going to keep my kids safe if they're involved in the neighborhood. But if we're doing things outside of God's plan, we probably have a different view when they're coming around the corner. There was this huge party in the alley behind us about a month ago that there was a lot of people kind of venturing off outside of God's plan. But when the police came, they were a little less excited. Well, it's the same police. It's just they weren't inside God's plan and they were upholding a standard they weren't living to. Another thing it talks about is submitting yourself. It says, so you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also keep a clear conscience. And our conscience is just what God has placed in us with the Holy Spirit of when we know we've broken God's laws and commands in our life. And if we're honoring the authorities in our life, we maintain a clear conscience because we haven't sinned against God. On a couple notes, one, we're obeying verses like this that say to honor our authorities, and that gives us a clear conscience, but also because generally the laws line up with God's commands and things we should be doing in our life. And so we can have a clear conscience when we live in righteousness. So we shouldn't feel the need to avoid or circumvent authorities in our life. And then another thing that talks about taxes. Fun. It's everyone's favorite topic. It says, pay your taxes too for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those in authority. And so finally, we're told to just pay our taxes. 
And really this gets down to honoring the authorities God's placed there. And Jesus spoke of a few things on this. He spoke of giving money to Caesar and paying their taxes due to him because his, his inscription was on the coins that they had. I don't think Jesus would have probably honored Caesar for the way he lived his life, but he did say you should honor the authorities in your life and the government in which you're under and the money you're using. And I think of our taxes. For this, I think there's things we glean from it, even if it's not our favorite thing to pay. It's what pays our police officers and keeps jails there and has capitals downtown and people working for us to keep our society being something that honors God and has order in it. And I believe we should honor God in those because it's his, his delegate. One more thing I want to cover this morning is how do we honor God in an election season? It wasn't totally in this passage, but it's where we are this month, so I thought I'd talk about it a little bit. I got my election ballot in the mail. I heard a few other people did. So now we've got to face it. One of the things that's cool about America is we live in a society where we get to be a part of politics. We get to have a vote. And we can contribute to our government. Some places they might just be able to blame some dictator and say he or she did everything wrong and, or everything right and that's their thing. Well, as Americans, we have to look in the mirror a little bit because God set us up with a government that involves us in that process. So the first thing I put up there is just vote because not taking action doesn't absolve us. The situation is far more grave that's on the screen, talking about Esther, because it was talking about people really dying and, and being a whole country of the Jews being in dangerous way. But I do think it's fitting in one sense. It says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And I think of her time, and she was put in a time where there was great evil going on and things going on. And she was urged, maybe you've been put there for such a time as this to carry out the authority she had to bring God's will in. And it can seem challenging to go against the flow in a society that's potentially going away from God. But as we're citizens and we have the ability to vote, we have the ability to somehow be a part of that and let God's will be carried out with each vote we make. So the next thing is just to vote in ways that honor God. We all have some political leaning or way that we view the world or things that are important to us. Our natural tendencies might be to just pick down the ballot for people on one party or to vote for things that affect our pocketbooks the most favorably. But I encourage you to think about voting in ways that honor God. Think about voting for people that will bring about God's will in our government. Think about voting for people that would defend biblical values. As you look through the candidates, and you did do my own research over the next month, but think about people that will defend the biblical view of marriage. As there's a lot that's coming onto our society in that realm. Think of people that will defend us having the ability to worship God freely, defend defenseless babies, defend things that are really important to God. I think it's really easy to look at a resume and look for someone that has 
a good resume or is going to hold um, a certain view of things or vote a certain way on taxes. But I think those are the things that God is really going to find important as we voted. Here's a verse in Romans 1. It says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. I'll stop for a second. God's just saying, if people turn from me and go their own way, I'm going to hand them over to all those things. And then this verse comes up, and it says, Although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That last sentence is kind of a wake-up call for me. I do believe God's going to call into account everything that happens in our country, in our city, and God's going to bring into account political leaders, our country as a whole, things that I can't personally give an account for. But there are pieces I can give an account for. If there's things that are dishonoring God or people that are dishonoring God in our government, how we vote shows if we're giving hearty approval to those who practice them or if we are voting in a way for things that honor him. And I do believe, even if it's not where the whole tide of the government goes, each one of us is going to be called into account for how did you vote? Did you vote for people that honored me? Did you vote for things that honored me and held up my standards? Or did you vote with the public? Did you vote on what would make the city money even if it didn't honor me? So I just urge you to think about what are you approving with your votes this November? This is another one just to think about through this process. As we talked about Romans 13.7, to give respect and honor to those who are in authority. This election is mostly more local than national, but do we speak of those in office in a way that honors God? With honor as those placed there by God. Thinking of those men and women as each one given God's authority as a delegate. We tend to be most polarized about the most visible office, especially in our national government, about the president, maybe about the Speaker of the House or Supreme Court justices. Most people know some of those people by name, at least. But even let's consider these same verses about our local government, how we honor the institution God has granted and given authority to. There's people that are doing tough jobs in our local government that really affect our lives and shape the authority. Just think of how we're talking and treating people in authority in things like uh, the governor and the mayor and their police. There's a lot of people doing great work for us that I think God has that same standard in us. Another thing just to think about through the election season is to be in prayer. I most often think of praying for people I know personally, for praying for the church or for my family or for other pastors I know. But consider this command we're given in 1 Timothy 2. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. 
Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So we're specifically told in this verse to pray for kings. In our land, I would think of that more as praying for our politicians and people in authority in government over us because they shape things in our life. They shape our city and our ordinances. They shape our national government and how it plays out. And pray for people that are in those positions, that they would uphold God's standards, that God would put people in those positions that would do that. Pray that they would be able to keep society in line with God's standards, our laws in line with God's standards, and not just going off into what we want to do. This verse also talks about being able to live our lives in quiet dignity. If the government is acting out in the authority that God has given it and the way that God wants it to, generally you can live out your life as a Christian with dignity and honor. You can work hard. You can raise a family. You can discipline your kids the way God wants you to. You can worship freely like we did this morning. And all of those things are safe and secure and we can live as Christians with quiet dignity. And so pray, says, that we can continue to do that. I think just praying for our government, praying for people, that God would get their hearts, all of our elected officials, and that God would be getting the glory in our government. One last question that might be on your mind as we talked about it all, I think comes up, is, is there a time we shouldn't obey our government? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But as we talk about government, we talk about it's this authority that's been handed down and God has his whole standard, what's going on in heaven, what's going on for eternity, and he's given some of that authority over. And I described a government that's mostly in line with God's will, but I recognize that every government is imperfect, and all of the people in government are imperfect, just as we are. And so there's times they can stand outside of the authority God's given them and been doing things then maybe you're not in line with it. I think our first call in this, and the most clear scripture to us, is 1 Timothy 2, 2, like we talked about, which really just tells us to attempt to live at peace and not go against our government and not disobey our government. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And so our first goal should be to live at peace with the government, not against it. And if we can carry out our faith, if we can carry out our life and honor God with quiet dignity and do those both in balance, that should be our first goal, the scriptures say. That's how we should operate. But there are a few exceptions, and so I want to highlight that, where it's not just 100% go with what the government says, but that should be our modus operandum, is that if we can, and if we can honor God and walk in that, we should walk in the authority of the government at all times. But there have been times in the history of the world, and there are even governments now, that have required Christians to do things that dishonor God, and then it gets a little more murky. One thing I think about is when we're asked to forsake God. And this is going on around the world. And this has gone on where governments ask Christians to forsake God or suffer a penalty. And many heroic Christians have stood in the face of that, have stood in the face of penalty 
or suffering, even all the way up to death, and walked with God. And in those cases, the government had clearly stepped outside of the authority God had given them to maintain rule and his will and stepped into an authority God should have of getting worship and getting praise from people. Another I think about is when we're required to sin. I think of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one that immediately came to my head just thinking about, here's a clear scripture where the government was asking people to walk into sin. It says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue which I made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if it doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And this is a really, really extreme example was worship the idols of the government or be thrown for their death. And they were being forced to bow down to that idol. And there are a few times over our history where governments really have required people to worship idols or do something that's a direct sin or against God's command. And there could be times like that one where there's time to act. But just note, they still didn't start an up rising. They didn't start a riot. They didn't get all the Christians to go riot the Capitol building. What'd they do? They honored God. They said they wouldn't worship the idol. And they put themselves under the authority of the government, even in that case. And the last one I was thinking about is just spreading the gospel. God wants us to spread the gospel to the whole world. Paul was a good example of this. He would preach the gospel and at times end up in prison because they didn't want the gospel going out. And then he'd get out and he'd be preaching again and they'd throw him back in prison and he'd move on when they wouldn't keep him in that place. And again, I think there's very few times where that's the case. But that's a clear one where in the scriptures we see example of If the government says we shouldn't have Bibles or shouldn't have the gospel, there may be a time to prayerfully consider, do we walk in that? And there's places where it's illegal to have a Bible or illegal to have a church service or share the gospel, where Christians in faith had made a decision, I know that's what the government's saying, but I know God wants me to be a part of sharing the gospel and making... um, worshiping him a priority and being together in fellowship even in light of that with that said this is a really specific list and a short list of things where we would walk outside of governmental authority and it's only happened a few places and a few times in history where I think God is really asking people to walk outside of that and I do know we have brothers and sisters that are in places where that's what they're facing every day Do I listen to the government? Do I honor them and burn the Bible or not have a worship service on a Sunday? Or do I walk into what God wants us to do? And that's a very real struggle they're trying to work out in faith. But when I think of us, I don't think I've ever really been 
faced with one of these questions as an American thus far. 10, 20 years we might be facing some of these things, but today I think as a Christian in America in 2018, generally we can walk in alignment with the government and practice our faith. Some of it takes a little bit of wisdom in how we share the gospel. I think if it's illegal to share in a certain place, but it's like we don't want to run into a meeting where we're going to get arrested to share the gospel when you can stand outside of it and share on the doorsteps and it's okay. There's times, but there's other people around the world that are really walking into that and thinking it's illegal to talk about Jesus Christ. And that's a time we might walk into that. Okay, so I'll wrap up with that. But just remember as we go talking about how we relate to government this morning that we should be in prayer. We should be looking to honor our government as God's authority in our speech. And we should be carrying our votes and carrying out how we impact government in a way that really honors God and puts people and things in government that bring about his will in our society. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We just pray you'd use this message on our hearts. God, I pray you'd help us um, really honor you with our lives and, and look to be transformed and live in sanctification. And I pray you'd continue to give us a place where we can do that in peace and dignity as Christians in America. And you'd put people in office this November that would hold up your standards, that would be living righteously before you and voting for things that would honor you. I pray that our votes, we could stand before you and, and know that they honor you and know that we impact things in a way that really brings you honor. I pray you just help us be wise with the gospel. God, help us be preaching it. Help us be aggressive with it. Help us share with people that need to hear about your love. And also help us keep that intention with honoring our authorities. But God, I do just pray you'd help us be people that give the authorities honor that you've placed in our life. As ultimately it gives you the authority you deserve and it gives you the honor. And it gives you the praise you deserve. And we just want to honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.